Welcome to the Pathfinder Podcast from Lancer Capital, where we interview subject matter experts to help us in the small business community navigate some of the most difficult business challenges. All right, welcome to episode two of the Pathfinder Podcast from Lancer Capital. This is Josh Welk. I'm here with Jackson Bennett. Uh, we're excited to uh, you know, chat with you about an interesting topic around mezzanine debt and mezzanine financing. Uh, you know, it's a capital solution that we know quite well from you know, our experience investing in companies, but feel like it's you know, an interesting financing solution that a lot of business owners may not be thinking about or have familiarity with. And it's certainly, there's pros and cons with everything, but it's certainly an interesting financing solution uh, for owners that may not be ready to sell their business or uh, need growth capital, but want to you know, think about the equity considerations if they bring on a partner. Uh, mezzanine finance can be an interesting bridge, and there's a lot of positives to what mezzanine groups can bring to the table for a company. So we'll be talking with Colin Rawls from Boathouse Capital and Marty McCormick from FNB Mezzanine. We're excited to get their perspectives, and I know they're excited to, to share their insights with everyone. Um, but first and foremost, we wanted to say thank you for the response uh, and feedback we got on episode one. Uh, as we mentioned, this was a new endeavor for us and uh, you know, thought it would be a good way for us to bring some insights into the market. And the, the feedback was very positive. I uh, had a bunch of people reach out and um, share that they appreciated the insights, thought it was a good topic. And uh, we, we certainly appreciate that and look forward to uh, you know, bringing more exciting uh, topics and episodes uh, throughout the year. Yeah, Josh. And, you know, since you mentioned feedback, uh, I actually wanted to point out that we did get uh, a listener writing into us around something that was mentioned in the last episode. Um, you know, they were very curious about the personality assessments, you know, and more specifically, you know, what's out there in terms of, you know, specific personality assessments, how should they be used? How could they be used? And, you know, what's the most sort of effective way to utilize them throughout a recruiting process? So maybe you could just give us a little bit of insight there um, just from your own personal experience. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good, uh, good question. Um, so there's a couple major ones I'm familiar with. Uh, there's a lot of obviously personality uh, profile assessment tests out there. MBTI, which is the Myers-Briggs type indicator, is one. Uh, predictive index is another. Caliper is a good assessment to use. And the DISC profile is another one. Uh, at Lancer, we work with the DISC profile. Uh, I've dealt with the other assessments as well. They you know, have slight tweaks on you know, personality profiles and what they're trying to test for and understand about an individual. But they all provide an interesting insight into someone. Um, as in any hiring process, there is no right or wrong answer. What makes these tools particularly useful is their ability to give you insight into an individual you don't know, you're trying to understand quickly and ultimately interview or do reference checks. These tests or assessments can really get to their underlying personality, what drives them, how they behave in certain situations, how they might you know, naturally be um, as, as, as a person. And it helps you to tailor either interview questions and or reference check questions as you talk to folks. 
So for example, a personality assessment may come back and say that, you know, this individual may struggle with when faced with adversity or challenges and may not naturally push through that adversity. That's not to say they haven't learned how to overcome that, but knowing that allows you to tailor your reference checks to say, tell me when a when an issue came up that caused adversity for this individual in their job, how they charged through it, how they overcame it, how did they react, which will help you understand, has this person developed skills that could overcome or deal with maybe what may be perceived as personality traits that might not be optimal for the job. It really helps you to kind of tailor that. And the other major benefit is it can allow you to see how personalities fit within your team. So naturally, you're going to have several people on your team that they're all going to have their own unique personality profile. Understanding what you're looking for and what might be the person's natural you know, instincts will allow you to understand the fit with the team and how you can encourage and manage those folks to work closely together and understand each other. Got it. Those are some great insights. And, you know, as always, uh, if you ever have any questions or comments about, you know, something that we touch on in a podcast episode, feel free to reach out via email to podcast at lancercm.com. And we'll do our best to, you know, answer your questions or address your comments on the next episode of the Pathfinder podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so with that said, we'll get ready to jump into episode two, um, talk with uh, Marty and Colin. As I mentioned before, Colin Rawls uh, is here from Boathouse Capital and Marty McCormick is here from FMB Mezzanine. Uh, both of these individuals have a lot of experience in and around mezzanine finance, as well as equity co-invests in deals that that they're involved in. And they're going to have a lot of interesting insights around the difference between mezzanine debt and senior debt financing. They're also going to be able to kind of explore why a mezzanine debt or a mezzanine financing solution may be a good bridge if you're not ready to sell your business, but you can't get the level of senior debt that you may want to help grow your company. Uh, folks like Colin and Marty are well prepared to work with business owners to help them achieve their goals. And one of the things that we'll talk about is, you know, some success stories that, you know, these situations fit into. Uh, so with that said, we're excited to bring these guys on board and uh, look forward to uh, getting episode two out to you. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, we're here with Colin Rawls from Boathouse Capital and Marty McCormick from FMB Mezzanine and excited to have these guys join us this afternoon. Thanks, thanks for coming on here, guys. Thanks Josh, for having Jack, us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So we thought just to get started, it might be helpful to you know have you guys say a few words about yourself, share your background as well as the background on your firm. Um, so maybe we'll start with Colin and tell us a little bit about yourself and Boathouse Capital. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, uh, Colin Ross, uh, head of business development and investor relations at Boathouse Capital. I've spent, I think it's about 15 years in private equity, both on the buy side and now the, the more the non-control, uh, debt through preferred equity side and, uh, uh, in a variety of industries all in the lower market, lower middle market. Marty McCormick from F&B Mezzanine. Um, 
it's a subsidiary of First National Bank of Pennsylvania that's headquartered in Pittsburgh. I'm out of the Cleveland office. I've been kicking around the debt and equity space for 25 years, probably. So uh, my group, we're looking to do two to six million of debt uh, and a you know, an equity co-invest a lot of times around the acquisition market, but um, so we're really lower middle market mezzanine. Got it. Yeah. Th thanks guys for that, for that background. So one of the reasons we wanted to probe a little bit on this topic and uh, do an episode on mezzanine debt is I feel like in the deal world, uh, you know, we, we understand Mez and we talk about Mez a lot and it's kind of seamless, but for a lot of business owners that may be thinking about capital solutions for their business, it's not necessarily as well known or understood. And, uh, you know, I know specifically Colin, you've dealt with situations where it might be a really nice bridge for an owner that maybe is not ready to give up control or sell their full business is looking for a financing solution. And uh, so we wanted to really, you know, kind of talk about Mez as it may be applied to a number of different situations. So, you know, from, from your standpoint, maybe share with us a little bit, if you were approached by an owner or founder of a company that was evaluating, uh, you know, how to grow their business, get some growth capital, didn't want to give up control of the company, but needed a partner to, you know, help them grow. How do you pitch an owner or founder on the benefits of mezzanine debt and some equity co-invest and how you'd structure that deal? Yeah, so it's it's a little bit foreign to a lot of owners about having a growth partner that doesn't look like an equity partner. So there is a fair amount of education that has to go into it. I think when people hire an investment banker, they're they're pretty much already ready to sell. They've committed to that action. And so when you find somebody who's looking for, I use air quotes, a partner, they don't always know what to look for. They They kind of know their banking relationship and they probably have an idea of what private equity is, but anything in between is, is really kind of a, a white space. And so the goal is to really, I mean, it is selling a little bit, but it's really educating them that uh, mezzanine investors are, are, are pretty business model savvy in that we invest across industries, but we have a goal towards growth. It's long-term patient capital. So when I think about senior financing, I think about folks who, as soon as they give you their money in a knee-jerk way, they, they almost want it back. So they, as soon as they, they give you the capital, the, the covenants and restrictions are such that they're, they're limiting their downside the entire way. Uh, mezzanine capital is certainly a riskier piece of, of debt, but it's certainly focused on, for our purposes, uh, making working capital useful towards growth, meaning reinvest the money as much as you can back into your business without having to take dilutive equity. And as I think about the equity piece alongside of it, we, we pretty much always have an equity ownership stake. And that's to put us on the same side of the table as our owners, right? That's to align ourselves, align interests, and focus on the long-term value creation piece of this. Um, you know, debt in a lot of ways is misunderstood as conservative or, or potentially lazy capital. And so our job is to kind of change the understanding of, of what debt really means. And in, the, in our mezzanine world, it means, uh, it means solving for 
short-term working capital needs without giving up long-term equity value. And so in certain cases, we're replacing equity with a debt strip and focusing that money back into the business and uh, making sure that our owners are still very much incentivized to grow the business. And they're not just getting capital, they're getting a partner, they're getting somebody to help can professionalize your business and help it scale and, and work around all the kind of the, uh, the, the missteps that a lot of companies can take in trying to scale their business. Yeah, it's a, it's a great response. And I think uh, particularly interesting because sometimes in those situations, uh, you know, working with a mezzanine uh, firm, mezzanine investment fund, uh, you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get people that really can be that business partner and are going to be actively involved and, you know, be it on the board, be an advisor to the company. Uh, but they're, with that, there, there's trade-offs. There's always trade-offs. And we're going to come back to kind of the difference between senior and mezzanine in a little bit. But Marty, I wanted to maybe get your perspective on the same question. You know, when you're talking to business owners about, you know, maybe the flexibility of the capital that you bring to the table and, uh, you know, your ability to support their business and help them grow. How do you position it to that, you know, to the to the owner, to the buyer of a business that, you know, you can be flexible and work with them to help support the company? Yeah, that's uh, it's a, usually sort of the first discussion, right, that you have. And um, <clears throat> one thing I like about the meds product is it can be crafted to to situational needs and and by that I mean you know I think one of the most important things to an owner is how dilutive the capital is going to be to them and and especially if they're sort of the sole owner um, there's no professional money in there institutional money there so the the fact that it can be crafted to be non-dilutive um, and, and, you know, that means they don't have to come out of their pocket, right, to put more equity in the business. And um, while we prefer to have some type of equity participation, um, the, the, the product can be set up so it doesn't have an equity participation. And I think business owners find that attractive is when they say we don't have to give up any ownership or we it's minim, minimally um, dilutive to them. I think that that sort of catches their eye right away. And, and a lot of times to be candid, they sort of, you know, they need the money. They've, they've, they've sort of tapped out their senior debt um, and maybe don't have the money to come out of their pocket uh, and, and don't want to bring on a, a minority partner or sell any of the business. So um, it, you know, it takes a little while, I think, to warm to the product, but um, it does have some, you know, some true benefits to the ownership. Yeah, we, we'd agree with that. And uh, I think you hit the nail on the head around the, the dilution factor. And as people think about, you know, either bank debt or equity, there's not necessarily an awareness of this other, you know, source of capital that kind of sits in between the two and can allow you to maybe pay a little bit higher interest rate. And, and Jackson's going to kind of jump into that here in a second but it allows you to kind of keep more of your company and keep control of the company, which for a lot of entrepreneurs and founders that are looking to grow their business, that word control is a really important factor. And so dilution and giving up equity ownership is an important consideration and something to think about. The number one question, like you mentioned, really is you know, that dilution, uh, the dilution question, how much equity they're going to have to give up. But like Josh said, you know, I think the number two question oftentimes is around the interest rate because the cost of capital and mezzanine debt 
is often higher. Um, and that can be scary for some people, you know, that, that might not really understand how much, you know, the, the capital can do for them. So I guess my question is, you know, sort of around that, Marty, what would you say to somebody who's concerned about, you know, the higher interest rates associated with taking on, you know, mezzanine debt in their capital structure? Yeah, that's um, sort of number one hurdle, right? The, the coupon rate or, or the, the all-in rate scares uh, a lot of borrowers. And, you know, the delta between senior, and we'll get into that a little later, but the delta between senior is, you know, not determined, but sort of, you know, in that in that 8% range, probably, right? And uh, so a few things. The, the sort of flippant answer, right, is that it's cheaper than equity, um, from a, you know, as we talked about from a dilution standpoint, but you, you know, there is the ability to sort of craft it. It's patient capital, it's interest only. So there's, there's no amortization. Um, there's, you can, you can craft prepayment um, to be more liberal prepayment terms, um, but there's no amortization. So you, you know, you're, while the interest rates higher, you're most likely dumping or keeping more cash flow in your company. Um, and the, you know, the fact that it's, uh, you know, that without the, the amortization, it can be really cash flow positive um, to the company, just relative to a seven year term loan or a, or a five year term loan in that sort of claims on capital. So I think it's, you know, basically cheaper than equity. Um, there's, there's no dilution. It can be really patient. And you can prepay it if you, you know, if you for, for not really that it's not that big of a penalty to prepay the debt. So I, I think if they look at it sort of big picture and take a step back and get over the coupon shock, um, you can show the benefits of having sort of an all mez deal um, that that, you know, relative to a mix of mez and senior. Got it. And Colin, I just kind of want to give you a chance to, you know, add any of your thoughts, um, maybe feedback that you've experienced. No, I think it's always uh, a fun conversation in that um, we, you know, like Marty, we invest both debt and equity. So in a lot of cases we have, we, we can almost throw two term sheets at a company and say, well, this is, this is what the equity looks like. And guess what? You know, we now own 30% of your company. And oh, by the way, we can give you the same 10, 15 million dollars of mezzanine debt and we can structure and price it a few different ways. But now we own 10 percent of the company. And when you can actually you know, throw that at them and they're like, um, they're like, why wouldn't I ever why would I ever give up an extra 20 percent of my company for the same capital? Um, and it's a really it's a it's a trading game. Right. I mean, Marty and I are trading a position in the cap table for upside. And, and so the owners are understanding that they're a little bit deeper in the, in the returns waterfall, but ultimately they keep more of the shares whenever they're ready to, to exit. So I think that's, that's a big piece of this is um, what mezzanine capital is used for, right? It is used for growth or it is used to replace some equity ownership such that if you've got a uh, the founder of the business is looking to leave and you've got some other owner who is maybe a 50 percent owner that wants to buy him out, doesn't have the capital to use it. There are ways to bring in uh, sources of capital that are not just straight equity 
to to boost your returns and take a 50% owner to a 70% owner. So there are so many things that that debt can be used for that you can actually overlook the coupon because it really uh, magnifies and, and accretes your, you know, your equity return. So while the current yield may be tough, if you're looking at a modeling exercise and an exit, uh, usually it works out in your favor to, to take this capital rather, A, you know, two things, rather than putting your own capital at risk, which nobody really wants to do anymore, um, and, and B, putting in something, again, where you get you get a team. It's not just capital, right? If you're if if you're going to pay that amount of money, um, usually you get support behind it. We're not going to give you the money for you to fail. We're going to give you the money to make sure that you're successful. And so <clears throat> I think mezzanine just has a v- different value proposition in terms of how we manage our companies or or how we manage their outcomes. It, so so Colin, I really want to kind of explore that a little bit, and I know we talked about. Uh, a little bit of a senior mezzanine difference. And so we hit a couple things in the answers already. And Marty mentioned uh, the difference between the principal payments. And we can kind of talk about how it is potentially keeping more cash in your company, even though the interest rate is higher, you're not amortizing debt. So you're, you know, we talked a little bit about that. But there's also in, you know, the debt world, you know, covenants and everybody gets very scared about covenants and what can the lender do if, you know, if I breach a covenant, typically banks, senior lenders are much more restrictive of their covenants and they're not involved until there's a covenant breach and now they are involved. And so I want to kind of explore with both of you guys sort of what does that involvement look like at the board level? How are the covenants more flexible? Um, you know, the benefit of having some equity co-invest, meaning, you know, you are on the same side of the table as them. So maybe give us your thoughts about really that key issue and the difference between senior debt. And you know, I'll start with you, Colin, and then get Marty's thoughts on that. Yeah, I guess, you know, without getting into, you know, particular covenants and fixed charges and, and other things, I, I guess I'll start with um, Mez usually doesn't have strict liens on assets or receivables or inventory. Um, most mezzanine firms are looking at cash flow as their backstop and the way that they are covering their their loan. So they're they're really focused on cash flow. Um, and I would say as as a group who focuses probably more on the exit in terms of getting equity returns, we tend to be very generous and flexible if you miss uh, covenants within within cash flow because it, in a lot of ways when you grow a business you incur short term costs which negatively impact cash flow but may positively impact long term revenue growth which should in turn generate more cash if things go accordingly so assuming we're on the board and we're in those conversations and we're having those strategic uh, meetings about what the spend looks like, you usually get somebody who's aware of those covenant breaches before they happen. So you get somebody who is understanding or appreciates what is going on. And and thus, again, you kind of use that that word Marty used and I've used, you, you get a patient investor and partner who's who's going to be, by the way, helpful in, in helping you think about that spend and and kind of maximizing ROI for 
the dollars that you're using to invest back in your business. So, you know, even outside of covenants, you get a group that isn't just looking at monthly or quarterly P and L's and doing analysis on their, their debt to, to, you know, cash investment. It's more about, all right, how do we feel about enterprise value and will our capital, whether, whether it's EBDA net positive or negative, how will that impact, impact the future of our company? And, and year one, you're thinking, great, we've got a lot of visibility. We want to invest that money. We feel like anything invested in year one should return a good amount by year five. And then you start to get to years three and four and you're you know, thinking about it a little bit more, but hopefully your cash uh, position is much greater in year four and you're maybe more focused on paying down debt or have more access to paying down debt. But, but all that to be said, you've got somebody who is managing your budget alongside of you and isn't just reacting. It's sort of a proactive approach to managing your business and managing your, your cash position than what I think a senior lender would traditionally do. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And Marty, I'm curious to get your feedback on that as you view your role on the board and you know, your flexibility around covenants in, in, in the business. Sure. Um, my, my role tends to be observation rights, right? So um, while I'm, I can be at, be at the board meetings, I don't tend not to have voting rights, et cetera. But the, you know, the way I look at the MES, just structurally, the way MES is put into a capital structure, structurally, we're so much more aligned with the equity than we are with the senior debt. And covenants are up. You know, covenants are sort of a necessary thing to have, but they're also, you know, they can cause trouble for the Mez guys um, in the sense that uh, if you trip covenants, um, we, we've said it 10 times about patient capital. If you trip covenants, uh, you, some, the Mez has to react in some way. But I think the Mez reacts collaboratively with the equity because we're, we're really equity in the capital structure at that point. So the incentive to do something drastic isn't there. Um, you, you know, I did a, I did a study on a, a stressed credits in a portfolio uh, over a sort of 15 year period. And the, they got back 60 cents on the dollar from being patient. Uh, the senior lender needs to react and react strongly. And it's, it can often be adverse to the mez and the equity. So it's one of those things when, when there's issues, uh, I'll call the senior lender and say, what are you going to do? And then I'll call the equity and say, what are we going to do? Right. Um, just because we're so much more aligned. And if you, if you react too quickly, if you reacted like senior reacted, you end up getting zero dollars back a lot of the times if you're looking at sort of an enterprise value and where the business has maybe declined to. So it just it just pays to be patient. Uh, I think there's sort of a necessary evil to have um, from a protection standpoint, but we don't get a cent before a senior does. Um, so I always find myself working really collaborati co collaboratively with the equity to, to, to get through the rough period. Yeah, it's a great distinction. And, and one, I really like the way you phrase that, that, 
you call the senior and say, what are you going to do? And you call the equity and saying, what are we going to do? And we really feel that. And, and you know, our philosophy on, on debt as we look at investment opportunities. And, uh, you know, we really feel strongly about the power of mezzanine and the benefit of mezzanine, despite the higher rate, because it is a collaborative relationship and, <clears throat> and a true partnership where, you know, you are higher than us in the capital structure, but you're really working closely with us to try to drive value in a business, uh, not hold our feet over the fire over a small covenant trip. Um, yeah. So that that is a really important distinction. But you also hit hit on a few things there that I wanted to particularly get get your uh, feedback on is around intercreditor agreements. So some instances you have just senior debt, some instances you have just mezzanine debt, but in many cases you might have bank debt and also a mezzanine uh, loan in your company. And so that triggers what we call an intercreditor agreement. And so maybe you could share a little bit of insights of what is it, how does it apply, and why does it matter for business owners as they think about raising this financing, Marty? Yeah, so the intercreditor uh, really, really active between senior and junior, right? So that's uh, that's really the 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 teeth in an intercreditor agreement can be there can be a, a a lot of teeth in an agreement or not a lot of teeth in a in an intercreditor agreement. The way I approach intercreditors is I just want typical protections from. Um, from having to stick my head in the sand and hopefully come up in a year and a half and the business is doing better. Uh, it really facilitates when, you know, the intercreditor facilitates communication between the senior and junior lender. Uh, very rarely do you get a, we're shutting you off uh, interest letter from a senior lender. You've talked about it for a couple of weeks or um, been given notice that they were thinking about shutting off your interest payments because things weren't going well. But it really just protects sort of the basic rights of the junior lender in a capital structure that can prohibit the senior lender from being very heavy handed, right? Um, the standstill, you know, they'd love to have an unlimited standstill, right? Well, that's not market. You, you've got to have a market standstill for us where at least we can try to get our interest turned back on or, or react somehow in the capital structure usually for sort of housekeeping uh, perspectives, it's, as I go back and say that it doesn't behoove you to, to do anything quickly and, and irrationally. So it really just provides you some minimum protections from the senior creditor being very heavy handed in a, in a situation. They never come into play when things go well, um, <laughs> but uh, when they're not going when they're not going, you, you never see it when things are going well. But when they're not going well, ever you know, we both have to pull them out and and look back and see what we negotiated. But it just gives you some protections from uh, maybe getting run over by the senior lender. Yeah, that's a good point. We always like to look at that. It's you know, we view it the same way as a uh, you know an employment agreement, right? They're a lot easier to, easier to negotiate upfront when everything's going well than it is to try to you know force through things when they they aren't going well. So having that definition of how people behave and interact in a bad situation, it's just better for all parties around the table. But it is something that anytime a you know, company tries to bring on that capital, they're going to have to deal with the implications and they're going to have to work with both the senior lender and the MES guys to get, get everybody on the same page as to what that looks like. So uh, thanks for your insights on that. 
Uh, I think this has all been really interesting thus far. And I'm curious, you know, one thing we wanted to touch on were success stories. And, you know, we we often hear about, you know, great equity success stories where a private equity fund or an investor buys a business and the equity grows. Um, but I'm most curious, and I want to start with you, Colin, around, you know, instances where you come in, you're the first institutional capital in a deal and you're not taking control. So you allow the founder to maintain a majority position of this company, uh, not give up or her company and not give up as much dilution and see significant growth. And I know these success stories are out there and it might resonate with some people that are considering, you know, financing solutions for, their, for your business. So uh, maybe if you could share a little bit about that, that would be very helpful. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I would love to say there's so many, right? But there's there's a few that jump to mind, and I'll try to keep them brief. But uh, you know, and this is a company that um, we I'll give it the first one that we've exited was a software business that um, had really cobbled together and was raising capital, kind of on a uh, almost on like a deal by deal basis, and raising money from uh, friends and family and call it at like $100,000 increments a piece and really just managing capital as efficiently as they could and still growing nicely. But we're not in a position, you know, weren't in a place where they wanted to sell given the market share they were taking, um, but weren't in a cash position to really finance it themselves either. And yet, you know, they really wanted to take on capital and that probably would have been something akin to, to venture capital. And so, you know, pretty heavily dilutive, right? Our VC guys are looking for 5X their money. And so whether they're taking massive ownership or having, you know, two times liquidation preference, you know, things that are very hard to unwind on the exit, uh, we came in and provided some mes debt with, with equity that was pretty um, friendly on the current interest payment side of things, such that we wanted every dollar to go back into the business because they were, you know, the, the unit economics were such that it was in their best benefit and clearly were aligned with our equity ownership to, to maximize that. And within, um, you know, probably a shorter whole period than we would have liked, the company went from 6 million of recurring to, uh, to close to, to 20, and we were taken out at, um, you know, against, you know, I think it was the right thing, but uh, you know, another equity group came in and provided the next round of growth financing at a valuation that was, uh, was, was pretty uh, eye-opening. Um, but given the market we're in, it's, it's almost not surprising. But in, in this instance, it, it purely uh, replaced or was an alternative to venture capital and ultimately kept probably another uh, 20% of ownership uh, to our management. And I think to, to our minds, it's always a really good thing to keep your owners as incentivized and motivated as you can. If you've got somebody who's, who's charging hard for their own business and putting money in their own pocket, you're generally in a better spot as a lender or even as an investor, I'll just say in total, to have that person working hard every single day than somebody who's cashed out 80 to 90 percent of their upside and is still is now working for an earnout or something else so in our minds it's it's really unique to you know be a partner day one and find them uh you know put them in a position and put yourself in a position of strength where you both feel good about the footing and, and that you've come up with a transaction that makes them happy and allows them to 
run the business the, the, the way that they would like. Yeah, that's a great story. I mean, to, to bring on capital, the, the amount of value creation that remains with the owner when you go from, you know, six to $20 million of recurring revenue in a short period of time, uh, that, that's a huge benefit to that founder. And I'm sure that was a great result for you guys. And it, it worked out well for all parties and, and benefited them. So, Marty, I'm curious uh, if you have any uh, success stories uh, you want to share as well. You know, one comes to mind in that uh, uh, safety equipment company, uh, more materials, uniforms type of company. Uh, the owner bought out a partner, uh, bought, bought out his partner and used uh, an, another mezzanine firm. And, and that mez firm uh, had an equity an equity component and a warrant. Uh, they had hard dollar equity and they, they had a warrant. And that was that business was starting to take off. They had developed a new material that was really well received by the marketplace right around the time that that uh, the other Mez debt was maturing. And the owner was really confident that this was going to boost, uh, you know, put this company sort of at another level. It was around five million of EBITDA. And, um, so it, I ended up taking out and he was he was really reticent. He wanted percent ownership of the company and he was probably buying back 30 percent from the from the existing mez firm all in with the warrant in the in the hard dollar and was really adamant that there was no equity piece because he wanted 100 percent once he had 100 percent ownership he would uh start divvying it up to his top management team uh so not all 30 percent of it but i think 20 percent of it so really, uh, all I did was put a coupon, a, a five million dollar piece of debt in there with a coupon, and we negotiated just a small success fee. And I just said, look, if this sort of takes off, even if you, even if you, it doesn't take off, you'll do fine on this. You're not going to end up having to pay me anything on this success fee. Uh, but he did. It grew really well. I think he had me out in about. Two and a half years, and, and the success fee was set when I got when I got taken out. It wasn't huge, um, but it was a nice little kicker at the end. And he was thrilled, and he still sends me, you know, a, a, a little swag bag every year, you know, thanking me. And and I'm just like, look, this is the way the product should work. You know, you bought back some ownership. It helped you grow your company, and you got to give some ownership to your to your management team. So I said that, you know. That's the sort of, and, and I made a decent return on that. It wasn't what the previous Mez Fund had made. They did really well. Um, but it was a good market return, and everybody was really happy. Um, I wish I could do those all the time. Yeah, it's, it's, I think in that particular story, it also illustrates the flexibility that you have to uh, be creative versus a traditional senior loan and uh, the ability to come in, offer some flexibility, come in with some creative ideas and find a solution that really works for an, an owner to help them drive their value. It's, it's really interesting. Um, so I think we've covered all the major topics. I just want to wrap up here. And maybe, you know, for, for anyone that's listening, that's thinking about mezzanine debt, I want to and you may have the same answers. I'm guessing they'll be similar, but I'd love to hear from Colin as well as Marty. You know, give us the two to three key factors uh, in, when you're looking at a company. What do you guys really look for? What do you like and what gets you excited? Um, that if you see an opportunity come across your desk, you say, hey, this could be a great fit for us. So I'll start with Colin and maybe share that perspective a little bit. 
Yeah. So, you know, I think we think more with an equity hat on. Um, but even with that, our, our focus, it, one is downside protection, right? So it's, it's understanding that your product has a need in the marketplace. I think we don't think about nice to haves. We think about must have. So is it mission critical to how somebody runs their business? So I look at what we just went through here. If people could cut costs in any form or fashion, they're doing it. So if you are still a solution or a service or a product that a company is using, that's a pretty key indicator that they need you to run their business. So we, we do a lot of outsource services, as you would imagine, where we can do it quicker, better, cheaper, and it reduces your fixed costs and allows you to focus on what you're good at. So I think about that as kind of our primary function of understanding your place in the market um, with the idea that this is still, it doesn't need to be disrupting, but it could be emerging technology in the way that uh, people are evolving and using new technologies to run their business. So while that's kind of a diamond in the rough to, to have something that's been proven and, and has been underwritten by a number of companies, that's kind of the goal is to find something that uh, that does have that DNA, but has good equity upside and coupled with owners and founders who are still buyers of their own business and people that are, have skin in the game and you really don't want to give up a lot of equity. When we have to battle for equity, that's always a fun place to be because that means you, you know it means something to you and you don't want to give it up. So those are the positions where we think, great, like this is a management team who gets it. And uh, ultimately, we want to have some a management team. You're hearing more about people than maybe the business. And, and that's probably right. We, we want a partner on the other end. We want somebody who's open to communication, open to uh, you know, different thought, thought processes open to bringing different skill sets to the table such that they are open-minded about how they can do this better. Uh, to us, that means it'll be a good relationship throughout. And, um, you know, somebody who thinks that we're, we'll be valuable, I guess, right? We don't want to just be capital providers. So we want somebody who thinks, thinks they can do it better and is looking for help to do it better. Yeah, that's great. And I think you, you made <clears throat> one interesting comment it's always good as an investor to be in a position where, you know, you, you have people pushing back and not wanting to give up as much equity. Sometimes you find yourself in a position where you're trying to convince them to keep more because you want them to have skin in the game. And, you know, it's it, we love engaging in those conversations of, hey, I only want to give up so much because I believe so much in the upside of this business. And that's a great conversation to have. Uh, Marty, curious from your perspective, what are kind of the key traits that you look for as you're looking at opportunities? Yeah, you know, Colin touched on it sort of indirectly. I think first is uh, the people that I'm putting the money behind, um, either, you know, if it's PE or if it's um, if it's ownership of, a, of an existing company, um, just that they're good people, right, have a good reputation and um, seem to run their businesses with some discipline. I think I've said to you, Josh and Jackson, that I'd rather do an average deal with good people, right, than a good deal with average people. So that's mm -hmm. sort of first, you know, first check, uh, uh, you know, check at the box for me of the people. And, and Colin did touch on it. You know, we're unsecured lenders, right? No collateral. Uh, so we're, you know, we're focused on enterprise value. And, you know, that goes to cash flow. And, and you do look sort of probably the 
the, a part of my analysis that I do that most of my investment committee and colleagues look at is sort of the downside protection on a transaction. And, um, you know, that's sort of driven by cash flow and, and driven by margins of a business. So, you know, a good, uh, you know, good medium margin business and above are pretty attractive uh, to me. And, you know, lower margin, I'm looking at a lower margin business right now. It's sort of a hundred million in revenue and six of EBITDA. And it's just, it did four of EBITDA in, um, it did four of EBITDA in, in 18. It did six, four, six. And, uh, you know, the senior bank would have been reacting stride strongly when it dropped to four. And that was only two, you know, two percentage points on the EBITDA line. So, um, you know, there's, you want to have some downside protection and usually driven by good cash flow, low, you know, low cap acts if, if, if you can find those type of businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good insight. And uh, certainly the, the recurring revenue, uh, as you mentioned, Colin, is a big factor in terms of you go through cycles and getting an investor comfortable that that revenue is going to hold up, that there's downside protection. Uh, I think is a critical factor. So I think that's, uh, it's, it's really helpful. Well, with that said, guys, I really appreciate you joining us here today. Thanks for hopping on and uh, sharing your insights. Um, you know, our hope is that this will be valuable for people that may be considering MES debt. And, uh, you know, certainly we, we like it and we think it's an interesting financing solution. So thanks for uh, taking some time to share your insights with us. Yeah, Josh and Jackson, thanks for having us. Thank you, guys. Really good episode there. I really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, first of all, I, I always enjoy talking to Colin and Marty, uh, so it was good to have them on and, and chat a little bit. But I really enjoyed their perspective. So we just wanted to recap, I think, the key points and key takeaways from what we heard today. So Jackson, you know, maybe share with me you know, what your uh, key takeaways were from this episode. Absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest is what you just sort of mentioned around, you know, the dilution question. They uh, they sort of harped on it and for good reason, because, you know, mezzanine really is a, a great source of capital for someone who wants, you know, access to that to that growth capital, but, you know, doesn't want to give up, uh, you know, any equity share um, or, or very little equity share, I should say. In their company um you know and, and it's also a capital uh solution that's very closely aligned um you know with the equity owners i guess you could say um so all around it's it's really a you know seems like a good solution for somebody who's looking for you know that capital that can help them achieve you know the growth that they really want but they don't have to worry about giving up you know sort of parts of their business. Um, and I think sort of stemming from that, you know, another important part is the overall flexibility um, of mezzanine debt. You know, I know Marty shared a, a story about how he did a deal with a, you know, transaction success fee. And that's, you know, sort of out of the ordinary, but it just goes to show you that, you know, senior lenders are restricted by any number of things and they can't necessarily be that creative, but mezzanine lenders are sort of willing to align themselves, I guess you should say, with the equity uh, owners to sort of be able to provide a more creative financing solution um, for any business. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Um, you know, and they really emphasized uh, both of those those key issues and key benefits, I should say. And, you know, another thing that jumped out at me was that, you know, both Colin and Marty talked about, 
their capital being people focused. And I think that we're, we're a big believer in Lancer at, you know, the relationship aspects of doing a deal and, you know, you can find a good company, but you really got to be aligned with the people and have great relationships with the people. And, and Marty made an interesting comment that he'd rather do an okay deal with great people than a, than a good deal or great deal with average people. And I think that truly stems from, Hey, this is a relationship you know, we're here to work with you and support you in growing your business. And when you have partners like that, they're willing to be more long-term thinking and long-term focused in, in how they work with their companies. Um, <clears throat> you know, that, that kind of dovetails really into that, that partnership focus. Uh, many times you are getting people that are sitting at the board, either as observers or board members, they are there for the conversations. They understand more deeply the major strategic issues and decisions going on at the business and are much more willing to kind of be flexible and understanding, hey, we might need to make this investment for a quarter or two or a year where we're really going to have payoff. It might cause things to get tight. It might cause us to trip a covenant. But long term, this is the right thing to do for the business that's not a surprise to them. They're there as part of those conversations and they're very much, you know, partner focused. And I think <clears throat> the other kind of interesting point stemming from that is how aligned Mez and Mezdet is with the owners and more of the equity group in a company. You heard Marty mention that if there is a covenant breach and senior debt is involved, he's calling the senior lender saying, what are you going to do? versus calling the mezzanine or calling the equity group and saying, what are we going to do and how are we going to work through this? And I think that really emphasizes that, you know, they can be at the same side of the table and be a partner for anybody looking for that capital to help grow their business. So uh, with that said, I think it was a great conversation. Like I said, we were thrilled to have Colin and uh, Marty on to chat with us. And, you know, we're, we're excited, uh, you know, to keep, producing some episodes we have some others coming up here which i'll share in a second but if there's any comments or questions or anything that you'd like to get in touch with us about again you can reach out at podcast at lancercm.com again that's podcast at lancercm.com thank you for tuning in for this episode and uh we're working on another episode will be next which is about preparing your business for sale how do you think about hey, it's time to potentially market my business. What do I need to go about that? Uh, what is involved in a process? How do I get ready for that process before I actually go to market? And how you can tailor and you know change those marketing approaches. How do you really get your business ready for that moment? Because for many owners, it's the biggest event that's going to occur in their business uh, career. And it's a really important aspect to be ready for and understand that. So we're excited about that next episode and some of the conversations we're going to have there. And we look forward to uh, you guys tuning in on that episode. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks.